All right, well, welcome to this episode of the Texas Tech edition of the Heartland College Sports Podcast Network. I'm your host, Jackson Moody. We got a lot to talk about today, and one thing stuck out at me this week. Texas, uh, so Barstool, they don't know much about the Big 12. Quite clearly, quite clearly, just from this last Unnecessary Roughness podcast where they all four hosts predicted Texas to win the Big 12 and Quinn Ewers to be player of the year. I'm going to give my thoughts on that. Plus, when could Tech play Texas again after this season? I was looking it up at work, um, and there are some dates or some years I think that it could be a possibility. I don't personally care if we play them again, but it is possible. Then we do a deep dive on Texas Tech's wide receiver, tight end, and O-line situation. And boy, if you thought our tight end room and wide receiver room was kind of deep last year, you have not seen nothing yet. And the O-line room is is deeper than it's been in probably about a decade for Texas Tech. Plus, SMU and TCU will no longer be playing for the iron skill. And one thing, coaching-wise, that Texas Tech must do better this year on the offensive end of the ball if they want to win the Big 12 title. All right, so I was listening to the last Unnecessary Roughness podcast. Um... And look, you can blame me. You can give this one star if you like because I would listen to something like that. But I have a lot of free time uh, driving and stuff that I got to fill it with something. And this one was their Big 12 preview. And I got to say, the thing was absolutely horrible. Their preview had Texas as the runaway number one team. All Every host in there said Texas would win the conference. Two of the four hosts had UCF playing for the conference championship game. And now I'm not saying UCF can't compete this year and can't be at the top of the league, but I think it's pretty clear cut when you look at the rosters that you have Texas, you have OU, you have TCU, Kansas State, and Texas Tech. Those are the top five teams. Baylor's probably number six by a good margin and then UCF could definitely be in the top half in that seventh spot but everybody on there everybody on there pick Quinn Ewers to win player of the year and for Texas to win the big 12 title every single one of them let me just go through Quinn Ewers stats real quick who everybody said last year oh he was the age or uh, he was supposed to be a true freshman. Guys, he is literally born on the same day as me and entered school five years after I did because he was born five years later on the same day. He was not a true freshman's age. He really was not. He completed 58.1% of his passes, 2,100 yards, that's fine, 15 touchdowns, six interceptions. But who did those interceptions come against is the real question here. And it was not in throwaway games. He threw three picks against Oklahoma State. He threw a pick with no touchdowns against TCU. Against the big boys of the conference, he was not a good quarterback last season. He wasn't. He didn't throw a single touchdown against Baylor. He was one touchdown, no interceptions against Kansas. 
He did have a good game against Kansas State. I'll give him that, but he still completed just 58.1% of his passes. Everybody banking on Texas is banking on an improvement from Quinn Ewers. I don't see it. He already spent a year before he got the starting job when he was a true freshman's age at Ohio State in their strength program. In the QB room with C.J. Stroud, who's going to lead the Texans to five Super Bowls. Anyways, he spent he already spent time in that program. And you can say, well, he got hurt. He looked fine against Alabama. I'll tell you what, guys. I get he looked good against Alabama. That was not a good Alabama team. That was not a really good Alabama team. We talk about, oh, they were in 2-1 possession losses or else they would have been 12-0. They were also in 3-1 possession wins. One of them, Texas, by the way, did get robbed against them. One of them, if Jimbo calls a better play, they lose to A&M. One of them, they won by one possession against Ole Miss. This was not a good football team last year. And he did have some nice throws. There was nothing on that film that I saw that compared to Baron Morton's best throws in Stillwater in his first ever start. That was Quinn Ewer's second ever start. I do not get the hype with Texas. And I under I, I so I understand why people are thinking they're contenders and maybe favorites. Maybe favorites for sure. You could put them as favorites and I won't argue. But for them to be runaway favorites, you have to think about it. Yes, their O-line and D-line are a lot better. Yes, they have some pieces at wide receiver. They still lost five games last year. They lost to TCU. They lost to Oklahoma State. They lost to Texas Tech. They lost to Washington. They lost to Alabama. And not, not a great Alabama team either. And yes, they did kind of get robbed in that game. But they lost a lot of pieces. Or they have a lot of pieces at wide receiver. They have pieces in the trenches. They lost their star man in Bijan Robinson. They finished third in the Big 12 with Bijan Robinson as their quarterback. And I'll, I'll t- like, seriously, I went over to my cousin's place who graduated from UT and asked how, what he thought about Texas for this coming year when the U.S. was playing Netherlands in the World Cup right after Hudson Card entered the transfer portal. And he said, we just lost our best quarterback. And now that may have been a bit of a joke, bit of a hyperbole, but he wasn't that far off. And they lost Bijan Robinson. And you want, and four out of four? It's a consensus that Texas is going to win the Big 12 this year? There's no chance. Two of the teams, two of the top other top five teams, two of the four of them, Texas lost to last year. Oklahoma, I know people are, think will get better, and they probably will. I don't think they're going to be a great team. They're certainly a dark horse in this conference. But they're going to have to play OU in the Cotton Bowl. And, I mean, Texas has proven that. No, it's definitely not the best team wins all the time in that one. So I think the hype around Texas is is deserved as Big 12 contenders. If you want to put them as favorites, I I think that you can make enough points for that. But as runaway favorites in this league, come on. They're not, they are nowhere near runaway favorites in this league. But since we're on the topics of schools that are leaving, and this is a team that by no means do I think 
is the best team or one of the two best teams in the conference. I would put Kansas State above them. I think Texas Tech is better than them. But Oklahoma, listen to the schedule they have. First, they're non-con, and I get some of this is because they had the Georgia game yanked from them. So I'm not going to criticize them saying, oh, they're scheduling soft opponents because they did get that Georgia game yanked from them. Arkansas State, uh, SMU, and then they go to Tulsa, which let's be real here. That's going to be a mostly OU crowd there in Tulsa anyways. But this is who they get in Big 12 play and why I think they are legitimate contenders, particularly if they beat Texas. They go to Cincinnati. Cincinnati lost Luke Fickle and most of their players. They go to Iowa State. Iowa State lost most of their players to gambling on games. They play Texas in the Cotton Bowl. That is one that is massive. That is massive. If they can pull off that win, and it would be an upset at that point in the year. If they can pull that win off, they are in prime position to make it to the Big 12 title. They play UCF, who, remember, Dylan Gabriel transferred out of of UCF to go to OU. He's OU's starting quarterback. Unfortunately for UCF, that game is in Norman. They go to Kansas, and Kansas has played them tough there before, and they fought back after getting blown out early against them last season. But I don't see Kansas pulling off that win. They go to Oklahoma State, and we'll have to see what quarterback is there. I I will be honest with y'all. I, I can't imagine a guy that sat on the bench at Michigan for two years is the guy to lead Oklahoma to a win in Bedlam. I really don't see that. I don't see that. But if they go with probably not Gunnar Undy, but Garrett Rangel, I think there's a real chance that Oklahoma State could pull that upset. They host West Virginia, who, by the way, Garrett Green, I'm pretty high on. I still wouldn't rank him in my top 10 of quarterbacks in this league. But he beat Oklahoma before. This one's in Norman, so it's definitely a different beast. They play BYU on the road late in the season, and BYU is going to be a physical team. They actually hold the all-time series edge with both Texas and OU. They're the only team in the current Big 12 to do that. Then they play TCU in Norman, which I think it is quite possible that you see basically a four-team playoff between Texas Tech and Texas, and then TCU and OU with both the winners going to the Big 12 championship game. But OU, despite being not being one of the top teams in this league, they avoid Texas Tech. They avoid Kansas State, who are both in my top five. They avoid Baylor, who I would have as sixth. And then they avoid having to go to Orlando and face the bounce house with Dylan Gabriel coming back. I mean, that is a cakewalk of a schedule. They are legitimate Big 12 title contenders just because of that schedule alone. Now, I'm going to skip to some previews for Texas Tech, and we're going to go position by position here. We're going to start with the wide receivers. And boy, if you thought we were good at wide receiver last year or had some depth, you have not seen anything yet. Now, yes, we did lose uh, Trey Cleveland, who was a really good one-on-one guy on the outside. He really was. I mean, that play against Kansas State 
where he caught that ball one-handed and then drugged the def- the cornerback for about 20 yards. I I was watch rewatching the Kansas State game between yesterday and today. That was amazing. But when you look out on the outside, just two outside receiver slots, obviously Jaran Bradley is going to get one of them. Loic Fungi is the odds-on favorite to get the other right now. Maybe not odds-on, but a good choice there. Some other outside receivers that you could see, J.J. Sparkman, who is really, really good. Rob Rowe, uh, he tweeted out that J.J. Sparkman turns 50-50 balls into 80-20 balls. He has insane body control. He really does. You look at Koi Eakin, who is injured. He is out, um, and yes, it is confirmed Koi Eakin is injured. He's out at least the first two weeks. He may return against Tarleton, may return against West Virginia. If not, we'll have him back for week five. But he's another option out there. You have Brady Boyd, who Joey McGuire has said he wants to redshirt this season. He wants to redshirt, if possible, which redshirt doesn't mean don't play him at all. Remember, it means play him in four of 12 games. But you have a lot of threats out there. Brady Boyd has speed. Koi Eakin was the top receiver in the nation in terms of yards his last season in Stephenville in 2021. When you look at the inside receivers, Miles Price is a clear uh, starting inside receiver. And just to go over some stats from last year, since we talked about the outside receivers, Jerram Bradley almost had 750 yards. Fungi had over 450. Uh, Trey Cleveland had 444. That, that loss kind of hurts. But J.J. Sparkman didn't see much time, but he got 150 yards last year. Brady Boyd got over 100 yards. You have some options there. Jordan Brown did not play much for you last season, but there are a lot of good things coming out about him in fall camp right now and that he could be a threat. He's a guy that can play on the outside or the inside. Obviously, I said Miles Price is one of the slot receivers. Nehemiah Martinez has been banged up with a non-football related facial wound you can imagine what that is but you still have Xavier White in the slot who is a guy that has bounced around from receiver to running back back to receiver there's also some talk uh we'll get there later but then you have Dre McCray who's just a speed guy he can stretch the field for you if you need to throw him out on the outside he's not that tall but you can throw him on the outside or have him to stretch the field you can have him run a vertical route in the slot as well. And then you have Jordan Brown there. Drew Hocutt, I don't want to be mean. He's not a guy I want to see a lot of, but he is also an option in the slot for you. When we get to tight ends, I think Baylor Cup has got to be the starter. Baylor Cup has got to be the starter. And remember, you had three tight ends last year between Cup, Mason Tharp, Henry Teeter, that you could use a good amount. And Henry Teeter and Baylor Cup were definitely the two better blockers. Mason Tharp still struggles with his blocking, but when you look at the stats on them, Baylor Cup had 132 yards, Mason Tharp had 100 last year, Teeter had 61. And, okay, I got to bring this up because I was watching the K-State game. There was one play on a third down where you threw it in the end zone. It was to... Henry Teeter, and it was like, 
It's kind of a wheel. It wasn't a wheel route, but he went to the outside. It was kind of by the outside post. And it was just, man, if that was Baylor Cup, you'd feel so much more confident about that. I think Baylor Cup has got to be the guy for you this year. I think the tight ends will take a massive step up. And I'm not even talking about the guy that we added yet. We also added Jaden York. He's a redshirt junior. We haven't heard about this guy much. He's a guy most people won't know the name of right away. But the original thought coming in was that he was going to be mainly a blocking tight end. It also seems like he has really good route running too and has shown that in fall camp. He is a guy that could you could have four really good tight ends with more familiarity with the system with Tyler Shuck, hopefully more quarterback continuity, knock on wood. We hope that look, nothing against Jake Strong. He's going to be a really good player. We hope that he doesn't start a game this year. Hopefully with more quarterback continuity, another year in the system, we see to see a bit more of the tight ends. But when I talked about our running backs last week or two weeks ago, talking about the receivers today, talking about the tight ends, you could count it up. Just counting these guys up on what we have with proven experience as options for Shuck and Morton. You have Jerram Bradley, who has developed well, Logue Fungi, Koi Ikin for most of the season, J.J. Sparkman, Nehemiah Martinez, who's gotten touchdowns before, Xavier White, Miles Price, you added Dre McRae, you have Jordan Brown. In the back position, you have Taj Brooks, Cameron Valdez, Bryson Donnell, and Valdez and Donnell have both looked really good in their limited time. You have Baylor Cup, Mason Tharp. You have Henry Teeter, who's going to be more of a blocking tight end. But you also have Jaden York in there, too. It is an insane wealth of talent and options that we have this year for Tyler Shuck. And by the way, moving to the O-line. The O-line has gotten better. So this is on ourlads.com, just a projected depth chart. We have Monroe Mills, who... Looked better towards the end of the season. We have Cole Spencer, who remember, or Monroe Mills at left tackle, Cole Spencer at left guard, who remember missed all of last year. You have Rusty Stats, a transfer from Western Kentucky, who has played with Cole Spencer before, been in Stephen Hamby's system. You have Dennis Wilburn at right guard. Right tackle is Caleb Rogers. Seems pretty fair. Caleb Rogers improved a lot towards the end of the season. Then just the backup options you have, you have Jacoby Jackson, Sheridan Wilson, Landon Peterson, Ty Buchanan. You have three guys, three of them, who have shown, who have seen time that are not projected starters. You have eight guys who have seen extensive minutes for Texas Tech in that role, not counting Stats and Spencer or counting them, but they've seen extensive minutes, have played at a high level, were all Conference USA in 2021, you have eight guys on the O-line that you have to feel good about, where last year, you probably had two, three, maybe four guys that you felt good about going in the season last year. Now, on the high end, you double that. You double that this year. And Joey McGuire even was saying, 
He was joking with Tyler Shuck. You're not going to know what to do with all this free time you have back there. And they, he was talking about how they were bluffing on or passing on checkdowns to take the deep option because they knew they would have more time and nobody was getting near the quarterback. And now he did go back and say, well, they stepped up in the red zone. So our defensive line doesn't suck. And with Jalen Hudson, Hutchings, Tony Bradford, and Miles Cole, plus you add in Steve Linton, who wasn't playing um, or practicing at the time, it really is true. It really it. It's going to be fun, and those guys, it's going to be iron sharpening iron all through fall camp, and we're already through practice 11. Now for a couple more external things since I went through those three positions, and we will do the entire defense next week. When could Texas Tech hypothetically play Texas again? Because obviously it's slated right now that that Black Friday matchup is going to be the last time we play them. So I was looking through when Texas has games. And I'm going to give a rare compliment to Texas here. They do schedule some tough non-cons. They have home and homes with Ohio State and Michigan 2024 through 2027. But in 2028, they only have UTSA scheduled. They have no Power Fives in 2029. They have Power Fives in 2030 and 31, but that's a home and home with Florida, which obviously is not going to happen unless it's during an SEC play. When you look at Texas Tech's schedule, they're pretty set through 2027 as well. Then 2028, 2029, they play a home and home with Mississippi State. Then 2030, 31, home and home with Arkansas. And I've said before, I do not care if Texas Tech plays Texas again. I really don't. I'm, I'm fine with that Black Friday game being the last one. I would have been fine with last year's being the last one, especially with how it ended. Now, the 2021 one that uh, I went and saw us lose 70-35 wouldn't have been okay with being the last one. But I don't see a point with this schedule for them to play them anytime soon. You're going to have SEC opponents 2028 through 2031. You're free in 2032, but they're playing Arizona State that year. I do not see a reason for Texas to honestly schedule them through at least 2032. 2033 is the next time that it would make sense for Texas Tech to schedule Texas. And now if you want to play two power five opponents, you can. You can. But I don't see an absolute necessity or need to do that, especially if they're not going to give you a home and home. If it's what they were doing with one of their uh, system schools in UTEP and UTSA where for the next 10 years they alternate who they play, but they're always the home team, if they try to do that with you, there is no chance Texas Tech should take that deal. None whatsoever. And speaking about in-state rivalries ending, SMU and TCU are no more in the couple years. And quite frankly, Sonny Dykes, it seems like, was willing to cancel the game. Not this season, but last season. He was completely fine with not playing them anymore. And one thing that I saw from this, from Donati, is home games are of an importance. Home games are of an importance. And now that's not saying he wants to protect that they get six home games every year, which you play 12 games. Most of the time, Texas Tech 
plays six on the or sorry most of the time texas tech plays six on the road six at home last year tech got seven but that was the first time in a long time texas tech has gone and played houston on the road when they were a team in the american they've played smu on the road where i don't know over their american or conference usa but they've been willing to go schedule a group of fives on the road they're doing that with wyoming this year for Donati to come out and say, we want to have seven home games every year and sometimes eight home games is the softest thing I could think of. You're saying you want all three non-con games to be at home? I mean, come on. You normally can't fill up your stadium. They had to restrict tickets for the Texas Tech game to get home field advantage in their own stadium last year. And they won't go across the Metroplex to play SMU, a good group of five team that you could have it penciled in every year. We have a good group of five team. We'll schedule our home and homes with the big power fives to match up with that. Then you can play an FCS school and you can get either six or seven home games a year. But why does anybody, and Baylor does this too, why do you need eight home games a year? It's college football. It's football. In the NFL, half your games are on the road. Half are at home. You're supposed to be able to win at home and on the road. Now, I kind of get it with basketball. I do. Or that you have the midseason tournaments in the Bahamas or Maui or wherever they have them. But for for a school like TCU, who great year last year. They, they are a good program. For them to try to go get eight home games and give up an inner city rivalry, which by the way, even when they played at SMU, it was a lot of TCU fans last year for Sonny Dyke's return. It just doesn't make any sense to me why TCU would go and forfeit a rivalry game. And I, I kind of get that, that you want the home games, but come on. You don't need eight home games. You play 12 games a year. You don't need eight home games. You can get six or seven and be just fine. You are not Ohio State. You are not Michigan. You're not Alabama. And by the way, those schools should go on and play on the road a lot more too. But you're not that big of a brand that you get to say, we should get eight home games. That's ridiculous. That is ridiculous. But anyway, that's going to do it for this one. We are going to preview our defense next week. And then the week after that, a real deep look ahead to Wyoming. So the final thing I want to talk about today, and I'm going to say something that Texas Tech needs to do on the defensive end next week. But on the offensive end for Texas Tech, coaching-wise, what Tech needs to get much better in and Kitley bears responsibility for this, and I, I full faith in Kitley, by the way, but he does bear responsibility for this one, and this was something that became completely obvious to me re-watching that K-State game. The third and fourth and short yardage conver- plays were horrible, and I know that was something that we talked about throughout the year. We had that against Baylor. We had that against Oklahoma State. But at Kansas State, there were times I looked up, and we had one against Houston where Donovan Smith slipped, and we're not going to have him this year. It seemed like every time in the first 25 minutes when our offense was completely anemic, 
and we get into those short yardage situations and have a chance to build some momentum, we don't have to be down 13-0 after one quarter. We were terrible. And not I'm, I'm not saying conversion rates. I'm saying the play calling, it was just weird. There were things that just did not make sense. That is something. If Texas Tech wants to compete for the Big 12 title, because Joey McGuire has already said, they are not going to slow down on going for it on fourth downs. They're not. Zach Kitley's play calling needs to be a lot more creative and a lot better on those third and fourth and short situations. And this year, I will say, with an offensive line, with a better offensive line, I think that we can run it a lot more with Taj Brooks. And Sir Roderick Thompson, by the way, in that K-State game, he was a huge difference maker for Texas Tech, and we don't have him this year. Taj Brooks, I have every faith, can be that guy. But we are going to have to find a way to be a lot better on play calling on third and fourth and short. But that's going to do it for this episode of the Texas Tech edition of the Heartland College Sports Podcast Network. If you would, go ahead and give this one a five-star review. Uh, subscribe. Uh, if you don't like it, I just tweet mean things at me. Completely okay. Completely get it. But um, anyways, if you give it a five-star review and just take a screenshot, send it to me on Gmail, whatever app you use on your phone, uh, send that to me at Jackson Moody, J-A-C-K-S-O-N-M-O-O-D-Y-3-7 at gmail.com. I will go ahead and send that to Pete Mundo and we will get you a free koozie in the mail. Uh, so that's going to do it for this one. Rate and subscribe and uh, wreck them. And God, we are about to actually get to talk about games. It's going to be beautiful. Going to be in that at that first game in Laramie. Going to be at the second game in Oregon. And the way my travel schedule is working, it looks like I'm just going to have to be at... <laughs> Did not plan on going to the Tarleton game, but looks like I'll be there as well. Uh, so go ahead and give it a rating and review and wreck them.